0: I like to start each podcast episode by wetting your appetite, telling a story that will get you into the mind of my guest, and I end each episode with a thought experiment. Right? Imagine how you would build your dream school. I'm kind of combining both here because when I talk with today's guest Tracy Raneri, we start with a really amazing imagine if scenario, but for her, it's actually reality. Imagine if you led a school where the school provided all the resources. And when I say everything, I mean everything. That's where we'll start off in today's conversation. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show's sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Glad you're here.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I want to start off uh, with the idea of student equity. and. You mentioned um, before that uh, sometimes you, the way you operate in your core values might not match up with, with district policies. And one of the things that you learned or, excuse me, shared that I thought was just mind boggling and we, we have to dig into is uh, kids don't pay for anything you said at school. So let's start there. And do you really mean like they don't pay for anything? Or just most things are or...
1: well. We really um, have tried to have them not pay for for anything, and, and same with parents. It's you know we're a public school, and um, we feel really strongly that then things should you shouldn't have to pay for things in public school. You shouldn't have to pay for a sports uniform. You shouldn't have to pay for you know science lab materials or art materials. Um, you shouldn't have to pay for parking permits. A lot of the things where There are a lot of fees, well, there can be fees at schools, at public schools that end up going into department budgets for teachers to buy supplies. And I really feel like it's the obligation of a public school that's getting funded by taxes to provide that for kids. So we talk at our, you know, back to school night, it's really common to have teachers at, at different schools, you know, list on a whiteboard, you know, here are all the things I need and it's Kleenex and it's whiteboard markers or, you know, a donation to, to an office supply store. And we just ask um, our teachers don't do that, that will supply that stuff. There's no need, you know, for us to do this to our parents, to ask them for things that we can provide. And, and in some years we can provide more than in other years, but it just doesn't feel right.
0: Yeah. In and, so that's, that's amazing. The faculty response, I'm curious about that. And I think maybe um, the PE department might've, might've been a bit challenged there and probably others as well. Because like you said, it's common to list on the whiteboard. Here's things I need. But, but how did you navigate uh, faculty response to help them see that this was the way the school was going to operate?
1: Well, I mean, I'm still not sure that everyone agrees with me, but we have a lot of students who are under-resourced. And so if you have a story that's always helpful, well, this particular student, you know, is going to struggle to pay for this or feel like they're standing out, you know, somehow because they can't pay for something. A good example for kids is there's a lot of clubs and also, you know, sports and each club and sport likes to buy their own, you know, t-shirt or sweatshirt to represent their club. But they ask for kids to pay for those. And sweatshirts can be, you know, $35 for a cool sweatshirt. And everyone wants to have it and they belong in the club, but their you know, kids need to pay for it. So we have made it so that you know club all the club fees go to all the kids getting sweatshirts. So if they have a a fundraiser, it's not just the kids who did the fundraising who get to buy a sweatshirt, but those funds have to go to everyone buying a sweatshirt. And if Everyone in the club can't get one, then the club can't buy a sweatshirt. But in terms of PE, it's it was complicated because there's something also about just wearing a PE uniform that was important to the PE teachers. We tried to to uh, not even have the school pay for PE uniforms at all; just have students wear clothes that they could exercise in. I don't know, just traditionally part of dressing out, you know, is a grade for PE. So that was. It was tough. I think as long as our compromise was the school had to provide the uniforms, not that students just wouldn't wear uniforms.
0: Okay. So you could still wear the uniforms, look the part, but the school would have to pay for them. So we've we've talked uniforms, sweatshirts, these kind of things, fees. And I know that your school has done great work around rigorous courses. Uh, So what what does equity look like there?
1: Well, we are starting International Baccalaureate or IB next year. It'll be our first year, which will be a challenge under these circumstances. It's a challenge anyway, just because it's a new way of teaching for our um, instructors. We're really excited about it. But we, when we started IB, we researched it for two years before we decided as a staff that that's the direction we wanted to go. And we didn't want to have a school within a school it was a top priority and it was our teachers and our administration that said, well we want to do this but we don't want to do it if it further you know separate students from you know a traditionally high achieving or what you would call high achieving from you know regular classes so we decided that we're calling it IB for all it's not really IB for all in the way that some IB schools Um, have implemented IB meaning that every student is a diploma IB diploma student. We are uh, making it so that there's not in English and social studies to start there's not regular history and IB history everyone takes the IB as their college prep or
0: graduation requirement. Got it so what I'm hearing is that students uh there's there's not another option it's you're gonna take the rigorous course you know and that's one way to make it equitable for all, all students
1: yes exactly and we three years ago before we had um, or before we were thinking about IB even decided that at the ninth grade level in English there used to be two different courses an intensive English and a regular English and we decided that we would have all of our classes be intensive English. We had no data. We had no information that said students were doing better in the intensive or that there was even a reason to put a student in intensive versus regular. So we put all of our students in the intensive English, changed the curriculum to make it more varied, and all of our students, the data showed, did better. And so that was really helpful for us in moving to this idea with ib that we saw that we had success in other areas with
0: this yeah so i guess for the ruckus maker that's listening part of it is if you can test it pilot it in one area then sort of have a a case study of success you can show that you can do this um uh, building wide so that that that's really interesting uh Now, the PE teachers, they had the uniforms to hold on to, but sometimes I've found that honors and rigorous course teachers have some mindset shifts they need to make because they might not believe all kids are are ready, right, for an IB-level history or whatever it is. So how are you working on faculty mindset regarding uh, rigorous courses?
1: So we had um, really it it was about getting – as many teachers as we could on board with the philosophy around access for students. And um, so we talked, we have a small, smaller kind of department chair or leadership group. And we talked a lot about how can we make this happen if we don't want to have a school within a school, but we want to have this curriculum where there's this depth of learning. And we just started talking about, well, if this is, if this curriculum and this way of teaching and being and learning is good for some students, why isn't it good for all students? And we have that internal conversation a lot. If this is right for, for kids then then it's right for all kids And so how do we make that happen? And different schools have done different things where they you know implement IB but they don't call it IB because they still are separating IB and non-IB but um, we're just gonna, go for it we've given ourselves permission to make mistakes and learn as we go and not everyone agrees still and and it is really hard to shift from um AP to IB in that way because AP is just so entrenched and it is so stratified in terms of levels so we also had to do some work around what IB means because it's it's very different than AP
0: yeah so permission to fail—that's a big piece, uh, making that that normal and okay to take risks and and learn from the mistakes you make. Talk to me more about the philosophy, though. You said you, you you met a lot. You know, quantify that. Is it is that a weekly gathering of the entire staff? Is that departmental? Is it a combination? And yeah, just talk to me about the philosophy and the, the frequency piece.
1: Yeah. So we have, um, well, we only have monthly meetings with this instructional leadership group, but we also have a cycle of meetings in the school. So we um, structured it so that the instructional group would meet. Then there would be a department meeting. So they would bring information to their department about what we discussed, and then we would have a whole staff meeting. So we just kept cycling back and not not changing the subject. We would just revisit and revisit. Okay, here's what we talked about as as leadership. Here's what you guys talked about in departments. Let's spend some time all together getting on the same page, getting aligned, having a discussion. Um, And we did that for two years. So, you know, that's that's a lot of repeat and discussion.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Jeff Wiener, I don't know if he's still the CEO of LinkedIn or if he's moved to a new position, but he said, uh, you know, people don't start hearing your message until you get bored of it, right? And I'm glad that that came out because what I want the ruckus maker listening to get is that was a two year long discussion. And yeah, I mean, you got to stick with it because people aren't at the same point, right? That, that you are. How did you get through those tough moments? Because I'm sure it did get boring or frustrating. Like, why aren't people getting it yet? But yeah, t- tell me how you got through that.
1: Well, I think part of it is having a, an admin team that's consistent and strong. I can't imagine trying to do this if I didn't have a, a core team that didn't change. I know a lot of schools have turnover, frequent turnover with administrators, and that can be so hard to get anything done. So you have to have people that you know, share a vision, that get it, and that um, know how to work together. So I think that was a big part of it, having that team. And just, you know, the staff was enthusiastic about it because I think we were enthusiastic and we had so much information to share and talk about that the staff had momentum too. We don't have a lot of staff turnover. So, um, so I think those things really helped. And plus it felt, it felt righteous. And whenever you have something that feels like it's the right thing to do, um, it makes it a lot easier.
0: Well, you could put your head, you know, down on the pillow at night knowing that you are fighting the good fight, right, and doing what's right for kids. So uh, I'm sure that moves you through the discomfort. So uh, there's a student, Student X, that you like to talk about within your school, and I I like this idea uh, quite a bit. And so tell the Ruckus Maker listening a bit about Student X and maybe some situations where you'll bring Student X uh, up in a discussion with educators in your building uh, so that, that, yeah, you, you get a more equitable outcome.
1: So we, when we look at our school policies, we, in practices, we do it with student X in mind, or we try to as much as possible um, because not, not everyone agrees, you know, people are getting there for sure. We, we read as a staff, a book, well, we didn't actually read the whole book. We read parts of the book. I shared parts of the book. It's called Opening Doors by Trish Arciaga. And she talks about this idea that um, there are so many ways that doors are closed for kids in schools with with the policies and practices or even the things that we say to students that discourage them or just shut the door altogether. And, um, you know, a, a, an example that she uses in the book is being ineligible for sports, right? Mm -hmm. Using, using students' grades to prevent them from participating. And there's, you know, different people feel differently about this, you know, that, that grades are a motivator to keep kids engaged in school. But she talks about allowing kids to still practice because that's a way to keep them um, engaged instead of having them, you know, quit the team because just cutting a kid off because of their grades as, you know, a policy. Basically, any policy that's black and white is going to alienate uh, people and and everything in schools deals with people, so it's situational. So we shared some of these ideas like what are the things we're doing that might shut doors for kids? Do are we, you know, having homecoming that's a traditional king and queen, a uh, gender binary popularity contest? Who who's left out when you do that? If we have a meeting for parents that happens at 8 30 in the morning, who can come versus who can come at 7 p.m.? And so thinking about each of those situations. If we have a tutorial after school where we're supporting students with their academics, who can come to that? And who can't? Okay. So student X, you know, has a job, student X maybe is transgendered. Student X maybe lives with an aunt and uncle, you know, you kind of have to think about all of the different things that kids are dealing with when you're coming up with ideas on how to help them. And if there are some kids left out, then we have to think again, how can we really have student X access all of the things that we're trying to offer? And I think that for a long time, it's been okay for students to be left out as long as most of your students are doing okay. I think People feel like, well, you know, I'm being successful because I look at these successful students. And and it's hard to look at the students who we're not meeting, you know, we're not meeting their needs. So so we just keep trying. We're not we're not perfect. We don't have student X covered in every area, but I feel like keeping it in our mind and talking about it and, and changing the things that we can as much as possible is definitely reaching more students.
0: You know, in that last scenario, too, that's the hardest one to bring up, Student X, because when school's working for most of the population, it's really hard to motivate people and influence and drive them to change because they point back, you know, we have the blue ribbon, we're top 10 in the state, the majority of kids get it, and there's just these five or whatever, like it doesn't matter the number, when you peel back uh, those layers and look there, you know, Yeah, folks don't want to change. But to me, that's where the opportunity is, right? Because whatever excellence you're experiencing as a school community, imagine if those kids that aren't the student Xs, imagine if, if they are then experiencing the same level of success, what would that do to the school community, right? To me, that's like, it's a dream school that everybody's needs are being met. That's something I want to be a part of. So I'm I'm appreciating that you um, brought up that last scenario. So
1: yeah, thanks. And I think the um, you know being in the quarantine and and trying this remote or distance learning is another good example of that. You know, this digital divide. And if you're some schools, you know, had mandatory online meeting with teachers. And if is it okay if you if it's ten students who don't have access to to Wi-Fi, it, what's the number? You know, if 100% of your students don't have it, then, you know, how can you require that all students meet online?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, Tracy, I, I've enjoyed this discussion so far, student X, access, equity. Uh, we're going to pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. But when we get back, I'd love to ask you about your experience with Organized Binder. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by teachers using TeachFX to increase student engagement online and in the classroom during an ongoing pandemic.
1: Hi, we're the third grade team from General Stanford Elementary, and we're here to tell you about our experience with TeachFX. It has been a really eye-opening experience for us this year. We know that students who are highly engaged in the classroom achieve a higher level of success, so we use TeachFX to help us monitor and collect data. TeachFX has really helped us reach our professional goals to pinpoint students that maybe aren't used talking as much as well as seeing our balance of wait time, group talk time, student talk time, and then teacher talk time across the grade level and kind of discuss with each other, you know, what's working in your classroom versus what might be working in mine.
0: To learn more about using TeachFX to support your teachers with feedback during COVID, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right. And we're back with Tracy Ranieri, who was talking about equity and access and student X. And this has been a wonderful conversation. You've used, if I have it right in my notes, organized binder for a decade which is quite a long time to stick with anything. So tell me why you keep coming back to Organized Binder and using it.
1: So the Organized Binder we found was a way to create that consistency of experience for students. And, you know, as I described, we've got students at all different levels. Every school has students at all different levels and, and with all a variety of resources and a variety of experiences coming into school, we found that we, we needed something or we wanted something that would make it easier for students or make it more comprehensible, I guess better than easier, to go from teacher to teacher to teacher during a day and know what's gonna happen when they walk in the door, You know, they're gonna have a kickoff question. And have this structure that was repeated to get them into what we called studentness that we knew we needed to explicitly teach how to be at school. And the organized binder was this structure that allowed us to teach studentness and also to have teachers be thinking about lesson planning in a similar way.
0: Yeah. Can you, so the teachers were thinking about uh, lesson planning in a similar way. Did you see any other benefits for the faculty uh, in terms of using an organized binder?
1: I think that it really helps with communication when you're having a meeting or when you're talking about um, instruction, anything instructional, if you can talk about either how the binder is being used in your class or just the language, the expectation, right, that we all have this closure at the end. You know, we all have this structure. We all are going to take time in our day to have students use the binder It's that shared experience because teaching is so isolating and you you don't really know what's happening in someone else's classroom. When you know everyone's using the binder, you always have something to talk about.
0: What was it like? uh, I mean, you started it 10 years ago and now it's part of the the culture. But can you talk, and this is my last question regarding organized binder, but the, the initial investment in terms of getting your team up to speed, like how to use it and then what it takes to maintain it.
1: So we had uh, Mitch Weathers come to our school and do a presentation on what the binder was and how he uses it. And we had some people who had actually known him from working at Sequoia High School together. So they were colleagues and had, had used the binder. So, so that was helpful. Also to have a, a teacher who had previously used the binder at another school. So her enthusiasm was kind of contagious and so was his. So we started just by using the organized binder in the ninth grade core classes. You know, let's make an agreement that we'll just start with ninth grade because, you know, there's the feeling again like, well, you know, kids, AP kids don't need the binder. You know, 12th graders don't need a system. They already know how to do school, but ninth graders do. And what we found was that. You know, everyone needs the binder. Everyone can use it. It's helpful to all students regardless of their grade level or what class they're in. So people, as people started feeling successful, as students started asking teachers to use it, we broaden it to, to school-wide. And then every time, basically, Mitch comes and does a training at the beginning of the year for our new teachers. And also, we invite veteran teachers who want to talk about maybe some either struggles they're having or questions that they have. And then also I have a teacher who's on site and acts as kind of the lead binder person to help answer questions or give advice, you know, tutorials on the binder. So I try to have... So we have, you know, organized binder kind of proper or central where we can get resources and help. But then I also have someone on site who's a resource for new teachers or teachers just new to the binder.
0: Got it. Thank you. And Tracy, if if you're going to put a message on all school marquees around the world just for a day, what would your marquee say? I
1: think something about saving democracy. You know, public schools are saving democracy. I really believe that the work of public schools is the most important work that we can be doing, that people make a choice to attend public schools and they need to be the best that they can be, the highest level, and so um, I really think that we are saving democracy by by doing this work.
0: You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school, and what would be your top three priorities?
1: I don't know how I would build it, but I think that the structure of the bureaucracy needs to be adjusted a bit there's a lot of I in leadership that needs to shift to we. There's so much power in a team and believing and working together and asking questions and being thoughtful that um, could happen a lot more, I think, in, in every public institution <laughs> where there's a bureaucracy. Um, and there's this idea of leadership that um, you look a certain way, you act a certain way, and there's a lot of you know. Well, I did, I'm doing this thing. You know, I built this school. I made this. I made this happen. And there's some I you don't know. It's just tradition in that. You know, that's what principals do. They're the leaders. They're the eye of the school. And we need to shift that so that everyone's on board. And I feel like that's something we've we've really built intentionally through our our teams. So by doing that, you know, having a team that's all working together repeating these values, believing in, in what we're doing. Uh, that's how you build the dream school. And uh, I think that dream school is a community resource. It's a place where parents feel like they can come to you and they feel welcome. They feel part of what's going on. They feel ownership in it. And that's not easy to do, but, but it's definitely possible. You, know, you hire the right people in your offices. You have conversations. You have meetings with parents that are meaningful. So being a community resources is really important. I think a school where students don't fail is the dream school because, because I mean, the school fails when, fails when students fail. You know, how can you, I mean, that's what they're there for, you know? And if students are walking away, having gone to school and then not getting credit, not graduating, what, what, what did you do? You know, how can you measure your success by that? So um, that would be my second thing, and then really making sure that that those values around students are solid. I mean, that's that's why we're in business. We're we're there for kids. We have jobs to do, and those jobs are for our students. And so, in every way, how are we serving them?
0: Tracy, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: I don't know. I think maybe it's that things take time, you know, to not, to not give up on what you think is important or what your team believes is important and to keep remembering why you're doing that work and pointing to it. It's, it is easy to get frustrated in a, a bureaucracy like ours and it is easy when people are pushing back but I think it's hard to argue with, with values that are sound. You know, If you're thinking about kids, if you are working for their success, then you have to look really hard at, at what you're doing and, and the, the ed code, You know, the school rules, um, you know, are those helpful? Are those doing what you want them to do? Are they there for the adults or are they there for the kids? So I think keeping those, just keeping the philosophy at the forefront.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, Or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.